Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the People and Dancers podcast. Uh, my name is Gilla Zampini and today I'm joined by Hannah Head, who is a very prominent member of Student for Sensible Drug Policy and also somebody who is committed to uh, drug policy uh, advocacy and research. Uh, and maybe, Hannah, you can tell me a little bit more about your background and just what, what you do, what brought you to this field and, uh, yeah, all of that. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm currently doing my PhD um, with the University of Birmingham, but I kind of got into this field after um, I lost my dad. Um, he was an alcoholic and when he passed, I started volunteering in our local drug service um, and just kind of wanted to to do something productive with that kind of the emotions that were left from that um and then when I was a an undergrad student I ran to be a sabbatical officer um so I worked in my SU um as the welfare officer for a couple of years and I kind of really saw um the kind of impact that drug use was having on students and that universities weren't doing enough or doing anything um yeah mm -hmm. and so from there um i kind of ummed and ahed about what to do a lot because i was you know i just graduated from an economics degree uh, mm -hmm. and i didn't really know anyone in the field i didn't know what my options were um and i kind of luckily came across um the middlesex uh comparative drug and alcohol studies masters which kind of yeah everything just spiraled from there that's really interesting. Actually, um, while you were talking, um, it really struck a chord with me because I did my undergraduate in history and politics and I had no uh, connection to the, the kind of drug policy field uh, up until uh, the point where I started volunteering at Transform Drug Policy Foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, just purely because a, a friend of mine uh, knew somebody that worked there and, and they were like, oh, you, you might be interested in this. And I, you know, I had no idea that such an organization even existed. But then after that, um, I did, I volunteered at Bristol Drugs Project and then it sort of became a, a commit, like a life, lifelong commitment, <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, and I think in part through experiences of, uh, f friends, you know, struggling with, with drugs and alcohol and kind of like witnessing that from the perspective of somebody who uh, was a user but never necessarily had uh, or struggled with, with substance use, apart from cigarettes. <laughs> I do struggle <laughs> with those. <laughs> but, um, and yeah, also the fact that your dad was, uh, your dad was an alcoholic and obviously um, a lot of what, what we do in, in harm reduction tends to focus on illegal or illicit substances yeah. uh, whereas we know that alcohol as the scope and destructiveness of alcohol can be uh, more larger and 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 yeah more harmful potentially yeah I definitely saw that when I was a when I was a sabbatical officer um, you know the university would talk about alcohol a lot um, which was you know just always really interesting to me um, because I saw the harms that that was doing. Um, and I just found it mad that, you know, we weren't talking about drugs at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so there was a lot of discussion at the university or by the university or campaigns around um, um, alcohol, harm reduction around alcohol maybe? Yeah, things like, you know, make sure you eat before you go out, drink lots of water, don't walk home alone, that sort of like very generic. Mm, mm. messaging mm -hmm. 
yeah, that was constant. And do you think, sorry, just the, the curiosity, do you think that kind of generic messaging has changed somewhat or um, or does it vary? Because uh, I'm, I'm wondering whether and to what extent uh, universities are doing uh, like maybe smarter and more kind of in-depth uh, harm reduction advice and campaigning around alcohol. Yeah, I think it's definitely it's definitely changed. And I think things like the NUS Alcohol Impact Project have have definitely kicked some places into doing more than that and really looking at, you know, the kind of spaces that they provide on campus as well. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it still is that kind of baseline generic messaging. And I think some of that stems from um, universities not really acknowledging that it's their responsibility to provide that sort of messaging um, and to provide that support, because a lot of that is, you know, outside of university hours is extracurricular. But surely universities must know that there is a big alcohol culture related to going to university. So universities are still sold as this kind of, oh, yeah, and, and your freedom will consist of going out drinking every night and kind of getting blasted. And yeah. that sort of stuff is still, at least if not the kind of mainstream um, surface culture, then at least this kind of subterranean culture that uh, informs uh, behaviors at university as well as you know actually motivates some people to go to university that idea of like you know drinking yeah. all the time and having a yeah. good time and stuff like that I think it depends like none of the universities that I've kind of been to have been you know fully campus-based they've always been city center based which means that you know like all the all the bars and clubs none of that's really run by the university or the SU it's all kind of external um which I think in my experience has definitely meant that universities feel they can like expect those partners to do that work mm -hmm. um, because you know it's not SU bars I mean at Solon we didn't even have a bar in our SU we actually closed it whilst I was there mm -hmm. um, but I think there was a kind of expectation that the city centre bars and venues would do that work um, but yeah there was like attempts at partnerships with them to encourage it but I think a lot of it was seen as just not not their job, not the university's mm -hmm. job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's, that's interesting about you know where the where do the university's responsibilities lie or where do they end? What are the boundaries? Um, but yeah, I just I'm just interested in the, in the issue of alcohol, but in part because as uh, part of the research that we did on um, through the People and Dance Force project and the interviews that we did with with the participants, a lot of them kind of expressed their frustration at uh, how culturally um, accommodated uh, alcohol use is in, in British society and and how frustrating that is uh, to experience um, you know as as uh, the stigma of using other substances versus um, alcohol so yeah, yeah yeah definitely and I mean that you know there's been times when I haven't drank and I think I felt that then as well especially when I've you know after my dad passed I decided not to drink for maybe I think it was about seven months um, and even just deciding to be sober um you know I got a lot of that kind of but it's but it's only alcohol it's fine when are you going to be fun again mm. it was are you are you joking like yeah. no um or like are, are you sure you don't want to drink uh are you okay are you okay <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of that yeah yeah so that that was a common narrative really across uh, many of the the people that that participated to the project yeah yeah 
um, yeah, so uh, really, I mean, I, the, the next the next thing I'm interested in is just uh, harm reduction broadly and specifically what harm reduction means to you. So, um, how, you know, what do you think it means and why is it important to you? Yeah, so, I mean, I see harm reduction as kind of a lot bigger and wider um, than, you know, than the kind of sometimes the common narrative is. Um, and obviously, I feel like things like naloxone and drug consumption rooms, those initiatives are incredibly important and life saving. Um, <clears throat> but I see harm reduction as um, needing to be a lot wider than that and looking at, um, you know, how our economic systems are built, how uh, social care is structured in the country. Um, I think a lot of it kind of boils down to, um, you know, the government we have in power at the, at the moment. Um, and I think if we're talking about harm reduction, we should be looking at why and how people end up using drugs in a way that could cause harms. Mm. Um, often, you know, there is, um, you know, there's there's a lack of support for people, um, specifically in the UK, but also kind of globally at the moment. There's just a lack of support in all aspects of people's lives. Um, yeah. yeah, there's almost <laughs> like a, it's, it's like a narrow, narrow, um, conception of harm reduction versus abroad and I think the narrow conception you know within the drug policy field is what might get certain interventions eventually agreed or, or implemented but then the broad conception the philosophy the kind of the yeah. values behind are what we need in order to kind of move away from um, kind of harmful uh, practices I think in the first place because as you said like uh, so many of the so many of the harms come are structural they're not you know they're not to do necessarily That's with I was looking for that I just couldn't <laughs> grasp I couldn't find it <laughs> uh, it's, it's always like that with if you talk to a social scientist they'll tell you that you know socially you know it's, it's, it's structural harms is structural violence and it's about a, a kind of like a, an a unequal unjust system that perpetrates harms in different ways yeah and some people deal with it through developing uh, substance misuse issues, for example, as a way of maybe coping with just the yeah. pain of, of everything that they have to endure. Yeah. And, you know, that's not to that's not to discredit the kind of the more narrow view. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the things that are happening at the moment, even, you know, uh, police carrying naloxone, for example, those initiatives are incredible and they're really needed. Um, but I just hope that the conversation is is bigger than that. Um, so we achieve all those goals and then just kind of look at the entire world more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, sometimes, I mean, not not to kind of uh, like you, I, I'm totally uh, in awe of like all the work that people do uh, in order to advance like more controversial kind of harm reduction initiatives in, in drug policy. But I also feel that we ultimately need a kind of value shift rather than just a, a kind of implementation or intervention focused kind of yeah. um, uh, discourse, you know, narrative or discussions. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Also, <laughs> I think quite often the kind of history of the like harm reduction movement is being, you know, led by people who use drugs is often forgotten. Um, and for me, that's, that's integral. Um, I think yeah during people who use drugs and then the narratives they have and and what that what they they want from these initiatives is um you know of the utmost import 
importance. And I think sometimes that gets kind of forgotten or lost in the policy discussions as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, that's basically part of the reason why we started this project is because we felt like there was a, a kind of a political middle or, or a kind of gap between yeah. in terms of advocacy and kind of platforms for people to talk about experiences as well as their kind of political ideas about drugs um, from the kind of uh, recreational drug users who weren't necessarily yeah. cannabis users or weren't necessarily kind of injecting drug users because they have a rich history of advocacy and they managed to you know over time they've managed to kind of get a seat at the table if you will yeah but um, there's definitely more to be done in terms of uh, you know kind of making those tables less you know more horizontal and more participatory than they are currently um yeah so I'm, I'm a, also a big big advocate for that um and uh yeah and I, there's I feel like in some circles and also through the idea of kind of only experts can join the discussion yeah and there is a very narrow view of of what expertise is and what you know and and that doesn't necessarily uh, correlate with experience which you know in some cases it, it should <laughs> so so yeah yeah um yeah the next thing i was going to ask you about was really just the, the really sad events that have happened at newcastle um so we there was uh four deaths of young people three of whom were university students and uh, yeah, and I don't know, I, I, the sense I got was that the university would just sort of put their hands up and were like, mm, mm, not our fault, or uh, I don't know, it just, it just, it's just terrible. And like we had discussions before and you were saying this shouldn't happen, you know, this shouldn't be happening anymore. Yeah, so I think, you know, first things first, like my heart goes out to everyone who is, who knew those students or who's a student at those universities. Um, I can't imagine what people are going through at the moment. Um, but I think this is this is a huge issue and it's only been made worse by COVID. Um, you know, people are locked in their halls of residence at the moment. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just an awful situation. Um, but yeah, the university, I feel they sent an email round about this, um, which I, I haven't seen, but I've had it. I've, been read what it says um which was just it was awful and I don't expect the university to accept blame or to you know say it's it's their fault somehow um but there was just no um no understanding and no real empathy for people um which I think you know that's the kind of crux of it um there was no em empathy um and I think also the local police put out a very similar statement that was just of the just say no sort of deal. Mm -hmm. um, so there wasn't really any information provided in terms of, of harm reduction or, um, you know, there was very minimal um, advice for people who have been affected. Um, so I just feel like, yeah, universities should be doing more. Um, they should be more empathetic and understanding of their students, especially with halls in lockdown, um, COVID having, you know, ruined mm. the year for so many people, um, and especially, you know, 18-year-olds, freshers who are um, had their A-level results absolutely screwed. You know, the whole summer has been um, 
not what they expected. And now they've they've moved to university on the promise that universities made them um, that they will have a great time and they will get face to face teaching and blah de blah. Um, and none of that's none of that's true. They're just locked in their halls. Mm. Yeah, it's been entirely irrespons irresponsible from universities on two grounds. One is to adopt the kind of zero tolerance approach where and we know that that correlates with more harm because, you know, like if people are not informed and supported, then they, they're more likely to kind of make irresp well, irresponsible bad decisions that that can lead to, uh, you know, intoxication, like high levels of intox tox yeah. toxic levels of 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 consumption and then and then two also uh, you know in order to try to get money from students to get into you know students into accommodations they just you know they, they basically lied to them they just said yeah it will be great and we'll do face-to-face -face. and you know that's you know it, doing face-to-face -face teaching is irresponsible but then it's even more irresponsible if you're if you're saying you're going to do it just to get a student um money from students for accommodation i mean it's just it's horrible. Yeah, it's, horrible. It's, it's awful. And I think, you know, I understand wanting to get students back on campus. And I understand that, you know, universities couldn't predict what the pandemic would look like in September. Um, but I feel there have been, you know, there have been voices who have been very vocal about the risks, um, like UCU. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's just wholly irresponsible to expect, um, you know, students, freshers who are expecting you know a really party lifestyle to be able to like do their freshers fortnights etc um to be to be happy stuck in their in their halls like that um and there isn't an ex an expectation or an understanding that some of those students will use drugs at all um and they yeah. should yeah and that we, of course we know from from what we know about drug related deaths in terms of th they tend to happen uh, with like very young people uh, for, you know, that's associated with maybe MDMA, they tend to happen with really young people. Or the, on the other side of the spectrum, there is like uh, the drug related deaths that we've seen, you know, increasing and increasing. And they tend to uh, happen to like older drug users who are maybe in very, uh, they are, who are socially economically deprived, live in those areas and, and have no access to services because services budgets have been cut and so you know we we are seeing and and obviously yeah you know people complain about the fact that mdma deaths are more likely to get reported compared to other drug deaths and obviously but but you know there is something quite tragic about a really young person even if it's you know obviously i'm not saying that one is more tragic than the other but i'm just yeah. saying there is something quite tragic about a really young person an 18 year old just starting out uh, on their life journey independent life journey kind of you know losing their life essentially because of misinformation because of like not knowing uh, you know not knowing not being provided uh the information and the opportunity to make uh, a more informed choice yeah so yeah very sorry i'm just honestly <laughs> it's what i've spent the last kind of about and at the end of most phone calls you know i am just bubbling with anger because you know I, I see kind of 99% of drug related deaths you know they are preventable they're avoidable and they shouldn't happen um but I have a soft spot especially for students um, because you know it's my it's my peer group um and you know a lot of my when I you know when I was 18 a lot of my friends were using drugs in ways that like 
if I knew what I knew now mm. like they would not be doing that yeah yeah <laughs> um, and I think it kind of boils down to universities really need to accept that students will use drugs um and I think that's kind of the first big change that needs to happen is there needs to be a, an acceptance of that um and it will always be difficult because of the legal status um of a lot of illicit drugs you know universities don't want to own up to that being something that's happening in their student population um especially not in their halls of residences or kind of places that are their own premises um but that absolutely has to be the first thing that happens universities just need to understand yeah. that and yeah. own it and do something about it that isn't kicking people out of halls and university mm. that's yeah 100 percent. it's like now they're just like you know, shutting their eyes and being like, no, 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 it's not true. I can't see it. It's not true. Um, but yeah, the, 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 I ask you, are, are there any universities that are, have taken positive steps in that direction? Yeah, like all of this being said, there are universities out there and students unions and, you know, local drug services who are incredible and who are doing amazing work. So Bristol will always be like the shining example because, um, they're, they're just doing really well at the moment, you know. Um, so the Bristol Drugs Project, um, which you said you volu volunteered? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so they're working in partnership with the two universities in the city. Um, and, you know, they're looking to provide better harm reduction advice, provide testing, um, and just really, really taking a kind of proactive, pragmatic approach to the problem. Um, and they're doing that with, you know, with local services, with, you know, people who can be considered experts, um, which, you know, for that, that limits the, the like, um, the reputational damage the university can face um, by working with those experts. But yeah, Bristol is a, a glowing example um, at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so pleased because that's my uh, alma mater. You know, I I used to live there. I I went to I went to university. Uh, I went. I did both UE and uh, Bristol as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I think you know there are there are students unions across the country who really want to do good work on this as well. Um, and it's not to slate them in saying that they're not doing it yet. Um, I think universities put up a lot of barriers for student activists. Um. So, yeah, so I think that there is a lot of work that like could almost be happening across the country um, that just hasn't got to the point where people know about it yet. Yeah. And I think, it, it you know, as you said, it takes uh, it takes a, a lot. It takes, uh, you know, really organized uh, groups of students alongside supportive uh, and um, in supportive services at the local level, sort of, you know, in partnership that do quite a lot of the groundwork in order to kind of build it up and then obviously universities who are open to to taking that on board as well but we are obviously we hope to see more and more of that um it will it will get to the point one day every university will be doing good work in this area that's what i hope yeah and that's i mean that's also what i think uh students for sensible drug policy is is about as well in part at least yeah 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 so it's only it's not all of our work looking at university drug policy um but it's it's definitely my baby in my area so i'm the chair of our university drug policy committee mm -hmm. um 
so I spend a lot of my time talking about this um but yeah it's it's tough I think I think students organizing for anything is difficult especially in universities where everything takes so long um there's a lot of kind of bureaucratic procedure there um but yeah hopefully we will see positive change and hopefully you know coming out of places where we have our SSDP chapters um yeah yeah and are you are you, you, you you're connected with uh, other countries aren't you you're 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 kind of global <laughs> yeah so we've just restarted SSDP UK um mm. which a couple of years ago was incredible um and then I think just as people kind of moved on um and stopped being students it kind of got let go and forgotten a little bit um but so Dasha Anderson who's our chair um has worked really hard to get the UK chapter restarted this year um but yeah we are linked into SSDP international um which you know it is a global movement so there's chapters of students all around the world um working not just on you know university drug policy but looking at their national and the international drug policies that we have um and making sure that student voices are heard in that in those debates that's great it's really it's really <laughs> amazing but it's also it's it's also great that um you know like that, that I, i've i sort of signed up when i was a student i signed up to sstp and then um you know i i like you know there's conferences it, it feels like it's a it's a really strong movement and uh i don't know like it always warms my heart <laughs> to see that yeah no it's it's incredible and i think you know it's only been um this year that it's really been kind of uh like operationally the uk has been back in back in swing a bit but there have been chapters at you know durham and a couple of other universities that have been going on for longer than that and have been doing incredible work and events um yeah so it's really exciting to see what will happen next yeah i'm looking forward to yeah seeing it <laughs> seeing it all develop um yeah I, I, the the other thing i was kind of um, interested in is just to hear your perspective about uh, you know the, the kind of the role of drugs in young in young people's lives in students lives but in young people's lives in general because um, there is a you know there is a especially as we get this kind of just say no uh, rhetoric that returns you know after tragic events then I'm just wondering you know how and when that kind of rhetoric is just going to slowly disappear and make room for a slightly more nuanced and interesting yeah. kind of discussion I mean I wish I could pinpoint a date <laughs> like you know on the 21st of November <laughs> we will no longer have this um just say no rhetoric popping up um oh it's such a good question I think it when you sent me the questions I think the first thing was I was looking at this and I was like oh god can I answer this am I even a young person anymore I've just turned 27 I was like oh I'm old <laughs> yeah I mean I still consider myself a young person I'm 34 so. <laughs> I think yeah I was just like oh god am I an actual adult now um but yeah so I think you know looking kind of looking back I think I come from a very small town um in Sussex sorry somewhere on the border um where there was literally nothing to do when people were younger so like a lot of my uh peer group when we were you know at 
in secondary school and in college um, would take drugs because there was just nothing else to do. Um, there was, yeah, there was, it was a small town um, with, you know, there wasn't like, I don't know, youth centres or anything of that ilk anymore. Um, so I think my kind of first experiences of friends taking drugs was very much, it was boredom. Yeah. People had nothing to do. Um, and I think that's something that just, I don't hear people talk about ever um, as a kind of, you know, a motivation for drug use, but there was just nothing else to do. Yeah. We lived in a town where there was, you know, a high street with some shops on it. There was a Weatherspoons that closed at like 11 every night. There was occasionally a club that changed ownership and closed every couple of months. Um, but that was it. And then, you know, you walk like 20 minutes in any direction and you're in a field. <laughs> like, it's the middle of nowhere. So I think that's that's always one thing that sticks in mind because I don't think it's something I see talked about. Um, but then, yeah, moving on to, you know, university. Um, I think a lot of people... I think people around me were looking to to work out their identity and to kind of like learn more about themselves and meet new people. Um, so I think, you know, the role of drugs in that situation was just, it was just recreational. People were out a lot. Um, and a lot, <laughs> a lot of people who had come from, you know, more strict family backgrounds um, who were very much, you know, just say no all the time um they wanted to experiment they suddenly had the freedom that they've never had um and you know those were the people I saw in the kind of the worst states because they hadn't you know some people hadn't even really drank alcohol before and suddenly were given that freedom um yeah so I think a lot of that was about kind of identity and finding new social groups um and it was very much kind of a rite of passage, I think, you know, people being older and having that freedom um, and trying to make the whole freshers experience less awkward, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the awkwardness thing is also relevant, isn't it? Because, you know, people need to, um, you know, people when, when they haven't worked out their identity or who they are, they tend to be more insecure. They tend to be more less certain about you know how they want to present themselves or what they, they can and cannot say or how they, they can contribute to a group yeah. and you know obviously uh, being uh, you know taking certain drugs will, will sort of take that insecurity away a little bit and allow people to just make connections without necessarily thinking about oh you know am I coming across like an idiot or something yeah. and yeah so there's a bit of that as well yeah and I think you know there was there were some people who became too reliant on that um, in terms of, you know, managing social anxiety and those social situations. Um, there were definitely people I can I can think of who, you know, they, they were too reliant on that. Um, but on the whole, that wasn't the case. Um, you know, I think a lot of people. I think a lot of their like drug policy conversation is very much focused on those who use substances harmfully and you know rightly so if people are uh, facing that much harm then you know it should center in the discussion um but that's why I really like the kind of people and dance floor stuff because it is that kind of more recreational um that kind of focus on yeah like you said people who 
haven't normally had that space um yeah and that, yeah, just mainly people who, um, you know, whose drug experiences are varied, but mostly tend towards the positive. Yeah. Uh, even if obviously, you know, there's there's always going to be, a, you know, even the thing of like, kind of like the the kind of binary negative and positive doesn't make that much sense. I mean, we use it because we need categories to make sense of things. But actually, you know, there's going to be that's the other really interesting thing that kind of came out of the project is that uh, people's positive and negative experience were experiences were for example on individual substances like certain substances they have a really positive relationship with other substances a bit more problematic a bit more you know um kind of up and down others still terrible you know some people just wanted to leave those behind and that's one thing of like that, the diversity of the relationship between individuals and, and and certain substances but also um i think crucially the the kind of the, the, the different phases of, of people's lives, which could be, it's not just kind of youth into adulthood, which people yeah. talk about a lot in the literature, but it's also like periods of, of time. Like, you know, it's, it's like, you could, you could say that, you know, that you've got a year or a few months where maybe you become, you use more drugs, you become more reliant on certain substances and then, and then you don't for ages and then you come back to it. And it's like, it's yeah. not a, it's not a linear thing. It's not an exponential growth or it's just, yeah it's it's, it's just it's, life isn't it yeah. it changes um yeah yeah exactly and it's like how can we accept that about everything else I mean maybe we don't maybe we still think that life should be an exponential growth and I think some some people you know still want to kind of believe in that idea but in reality it's just not like that <laughs> yeah and I think like you you know you were saying about you know people having preferences of drugs and negative experiences with some it's absolutely fine if someone says that about alcohol if someone yeah. says oh no I don't drink vodka because that one night you're like oh, okay cool have something else like it's very much quickly accepted and is fine um, I don't know if maybe that's just because you know more people are likely to have had a negative yeah, negative experience on also because alcohol is one substance, is a known substance that you can talk about different like uh, different kinds of alcoholic beverages. Like some people will say, "Oh, I had a really terrible experience with rum or something, so I'm never touching yeah. the stuff again." But I can still drink whiskey, and that's kind of you know it's 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 understood that. But but because drugs are are scheduled substances, controlled yeah. substances, you, we just treat them all as one. Like you know you know we don't differentiate between all the different substances that make up the word drugs. It's just like you know there's no difference essentially between ketamine, cocaine, and MDMA because they're all illegal substances. But of course they are very different yeah. <laughs> in the way that they affect people, in the in the types of relationships that people have with them in the like likelihood that people might get addicted, you know, all sorts of, for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, but we're stuck in like this loop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, but yeah, by the way, I didn't ask you, what are you doing your PhD on? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't ask you that. I was, was going to ask you that at the beginning. That was probably supposed to go in my intro, wasn't it? Um, so I'm looking at uh, police led reform in reducing drug related harms. Um, so I'm looking at what different local police forces across the UK um, are doing and what is working, um, what's what's not working um, and kind of looking at the local context as to, to why those things are working and, you know, really focused on the like policy making um, and decision making process that kind of came before. Um, yeah, to see 
to see yeah <laughs> I think it's a weird one um that sounds fascinating yeah uh, yeah I mean with you know especially with the PCCs coming in and stuff like you have way more diversity at the local level than you used to yeah yeah that's cool I'd be uh, I'd be interested in reading that when when it's <laughs> <laughs> no, no pressure <laughs> no pressure at all no it's it's fascinating and I think you know I'm really lucky I'm working in partnership um as part of that and I've got supervisors from two different unis as well so I'm really lucky with it yeah. um, and they're both great uh, they are both great yeah <laughs> they're, um, great, they're great people and they're great scholars as well so yeah and it's it's a fascinating topic and I think you know I I'm just struggling to keep up to date with it because I think there was so much changing constantly um yeah. but there, yeah, there's definitely really good leaders across the UK who are you know they're doing the work that needs doing um, so yeah, stay yes. tuned. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I've got one one final final question, and it was really just uh, to kind of touch the, um, the the effects or the consequences of the pandemic, uh, and that's kind of in general, you know, what you see as 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 happening as a result, um, and you can you can interpret that however you want. Um, yeah, and, and you know, we, you can talk about students, but you don't have to yeah um oh this is I think this is mad this this question um I just I see it as you know it feels like there's a different timeline that I'm living in because I've very much been shielding um for the entirety of the pandemic but I've been you know reading and doing a lot around this um so it's, it's just bizarre <laughs> um but I think for students, especially, like I've already said, the kind of situation um, that uni students are in in their halls and stuff is awful. And I think that's definitely increasing harms. And I think there's been some really good um, conversation and debate about um, the impact of like the nighttime economy being closed um, and the increased risks that kind of come with that. Um, you know, they're not being uh, trained security staff, trained um, health staff around where students are drinking and using drugs um, and I think the same can be said for you know the wider general population um, I also think there is you know with people self-isolating there is definitely um, an increased risk of people using alone um, which you know can have terrible consequences um, again that's for the entire population not just not just for students um, and I think especially where, you know, we can see that the mental health impacts that the lockdown has had. Um, a lot of people will use drugs to to kind of mitigate that mental health impact. Um, yeah. 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 I'm, I don't know. Yeah. I think just scared. Just yeah. scared overall. Um, and I think, you know, we won't know the impact of COVID hugely until, you know, it's, it's over and done. Um, but there has been great work looking at the impacts by, you know, Release has been doing a survey, um, Drugs and Me did one. There's there's a lot going on and Global Drug Survey as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, that, that work has been fascinating for me to see in terms of like, like um, changing patterns uh, of use. But uh, you are right, like there's no way we're going to really know the impact. And at the moment, we're so focused on the impact of COVID itself that we're just not, really able to kind of fathom the kind of the, the collateral harms the you know the, the yeah. harms related to to you know to everything that entails 
kind of living with a pandemic and lockdowns and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to, yeah, it's just hard to imagine. But um, And looking at, you know, like my kind of PhD area in terms of like policing, um, the use of like stop and search and stuff um, and the the um, new powers under kind of COVID legislation. Um, I think looking in London especially, um, that's already having a, a hugely negative impact um, in terms of who's being stopped um, and for what reasons. Um, so I think keeping an eye on that as well will be interesting moving forwards. Yeah, I mean, we, we all, yeah, I mean, it's just, we already know what's going to happen, don't we? <laughs> but like, uh -huh. it's, yeah, it's, it's another one of the structural problems, wicked problems. Yeah. But um, yeah, hopefully, I mean, maybe, maybe you'll find that there is there are very different approaches in terms of policing. You know, London is is a, in a way is a, a kind of a special case in terms of disproportionately targeting uh, uh, black and ethnic minorities yeah. compared to maybe other places. Maybe just because of, there is also more concentration, but it's like it tends to be worse in London than, than it is in other areas. Yeah, yeah, we will we will see. But I just think you know, I think there are. There are COVID harms and the risk of people getting sick through that. But I think there's, you know, a lot more around that that needs to be looked at and monitored. So that's why we need a broad yeah. like a harm reduction approach, not just a narrow one. <laughs> um, and yeah, finally, um, so if people want to find out more about SSDP, where should they go? You, have you got a website, social media? Um, we are in the process of setting our website up. Um, I would just direct people to our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. They can search for us on TikTok if they want. Although I have no idea how that works. Wow, that, that is so young. That's really young of you. To be on TikTok. Yeah, I'm we've like... got a couple of people who are running our TikTok, you know, and they make amazing content and I just, I don't understand it. Um, but yeah, people can find us on like any social platform um, and just send us a message. Um, but if people want to start chapters, we're really keen um, to get as many kind of chapters going around the country. Um, and even if, you know, if people are interested and they're not looking to take on like leadership roles, still get in touch because we can try and, you know, make networks at different unis. And and it doesn't mean that you individually have to do all the work. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm thinking about, you know, the connection between people who teach modules on on sort of drugs drug policy and so on and, and whether they can like you know instigate some interest in the student body so that then they can start chapters yeah, definitely so. and I as well like um you know we're more than willing to send one of our members along to kind of those sessions um I think for most people who are teaching those modules um they could benefit from having young people talk about how young people are affected um by policy and also how young people can have a voice. Um, so I would encourage people to, you know, instead of just mentioning us, get us in to do a session. 100%, I will take your word. I mean, I because I'm starting a, a module on drugs at Greenwich, so I'm going to uh, take your word for it and uh, invite you along. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for taking the time uh, to come on the podcast. And then this was a really lovely conversation. Thank you for having me. All right. And uh, okay. Take care. You too. Bye.